What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Antler Up podcast. We are on episode 54, and Dimitri and I are joined by Tom Runscavage, who is from Pennsylvania and lives in that Wilkes-Barre area. And man, we are excited to have him on to talk about his awesome drop time buck from right here in the state of Pennsylvania. And in this episode, we talk about that. We talked about how he scouted and and did all the homework that he did and was able to tag out on this buck during the first week here in Pennsylvania. And then what he kind of did for the rest of the year and what he's kind of doing now to get ready for next year. So it's a fun listen, great dude. And uh, hopefully you like it. And uh, if you do, make sure you leave a a five-star review over on uh, whatever platform you listen to. We greatly appreciate that. And we obviously greatly appreciate your support. Thank you again. Till next time, Antler Up. All right, so welcome back to another episode. We're live, and on the other line, we have Tom Runscavage on from Northeast PA. Tom, man, how are you doing? Pretty good. How are you doing? Good, man. We're, we're excited to have you on the show and we'll talk about an awesome buck that you have. But before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about who you are and, and uh, where you're coming from. Um, yeah, so I, uh, I'm born and raised in Northeast Pennsylvania here, uh, about... 20 minutes outside of Wilkes-Barre in a, a town called Dallas. It's kind of what's called like the back mountain area. Um, so yeah, I, I lived here all my life. Uh, initially, I, I had kind of come from a family of hunters. So I started hunting at probably at age 11 or 12 with my grandfather taking me out uh, hunting squirrels and, and then obviously eventually getting into deer hunting and so forth. Um, I was always kind of like the traditional, we'd go out in the woods, we have kind of like an area to our, cells pretty much we we build wooden tree stands every year and that was kind of like your spot like you went there every year that's where you sat and kind of like it was one of those things where you'd sit there till about 11 12 o'clock if you saw some deer great if not you kind of headed over we'd, we'd get the quads and we'd drive over to our kind of a designated like campfire area and we would all kind of get together around lunchtime <laughs> eat lunch or throw some hot dogs on the stick and uh, go back out for the day. So pretty much did that my whole younger days. Eventually, I kind of, once I got out of college, I didn't really do much. I'd go home like like said, on the weekends in college for rifle season, but never really did much archery hunting. Yeah. Kind of it was around the time when I started working. I, I'm a nurse practitioner now, but I uh, ended up working, like when I graduated college, I went to Bloomsburg University. I uh, got my nursing degree there. After, after college, I kind of wanted to extend my season further because rifle season in, in Pennsylvania here, you get two weeks out of the year to go. So I'd always kind of like plan on my holiday, my PTO and everything to kind of be off for rifle season, but it just, it wasn't enough. So I, I, bought, I think I bought my first bow uh, in 2014. So that kind of started my archery. I didn't really have anybody to go off of for archery hunting. Like my, my dad never did it. My grandfather, uncles never really archery hunted. So um, I had some buddies that were nurses too, as well, that I worked with and uh, they were, they were kind of big archery hunters. So I'm kind of like asking them questions, like, like, how do I get into it? It just seems such a daunting task of like <laughs> buying a bow and all the accessories you yeah. need for it, arrows and broadheads. I, I had no idea. So eventually I bought the bow. I was kind of getting all set up. I bought one of them that was kind of had everything all together, the rest, the sight and so forth. So I finally went out there and I got permission kind of right behind my house, there's maybe about 60 acres um, field and some little swamp area and so forth. So I didn't have a tree stand at this point though. 
So I, I went back there, I found this old oak tree and I had actually a couple pegs in it. So I actually was able to climb up into those pegs to maybe about 10 feet off the ground. And I, I remember it was October 23rd. And I'm t- asking my buddy, like, like, what do you do this time of year? I've never hunted this early. Yeah. He's like, oh, around this time I bring rattling antlers and so forth. And, and usually maybe give that a try. So I'm like, okay. So I found a couple pairs of antlers down my basement from one of my dad or grandfather's buck that he shot little eight pointer and I'm sitting on this branch and I'm literally just on a limb and I'm <laughs> running these antlers together. And not even 10 minutes later, I see this buck cruising through this thicket ended up kind of coming within, I think 20 yards. And I shot it from hanging on a, a tree branch. Uh, and that was my first, that was my, it was a seven pointer. It was a, a decent seven pointer, but that was the first buck that, that I actually killed. And after that, I'm like, was addicted to archery hunting. I, I, <laughs> it's not about, so that's kind of like, what really got me into archery hunting. And then fast forward, I got, I got another permission from another landowner, maybe that was about 200 acres, mainly I made half of it was kind of field and then some swamp and some hardwoods. Um, and I mean, at that point I was getting into the YouTube watching videos and so forth, like bow hunter die and, and all yeah. those Midwestern guys. And kind of like my thought was like, I want to hunt like they do like field edges, so forth like that. And, I uh, started getting to trail cameras, putting trail cameras out and I started getting nice pictures of buck and I'm like, Oh, this is awesome. So I'm hunting field edges. And I, I, as the season progressed, like initially the first couple sits in October, I'd see some deer, but then after that it was kind of barren. I, I, I wasn't really seeing anything. Um, I kind of started other people had permission to hunt these, these private spots too. I started running into more guys going in or I had a couple of tree stands, Cause I'll just another thing you watch these, these people, they have their own private leases and so forth. So I thought you had to buy 10 tree stands, hang them all in different spots for different winds. And again, if you had your own land, like you could do all that stuff. Right. So that's what I wanted to do. So I started putting tree stands all over the place and I'd watch other people come in and sit in my tree stands while I was in another one. So I just started getting a little frustrated with that. I wasn't really seeing things on these field edges. I was starting to run to more people. So then I'm like, all right, I gotta try some new things. So maybe about three or four years ago, I started diving to some more public. Um, the people that are familiar with Northeast Pennsylvania, maybe about half hour, 40 minutes from where I live, I have access to a, about 100,000 acres of game lands, but it's it's remote, it's mountainous. Deer density is is, is definitely on the low side, but I, I could get away from people. That's kind of one of the things I really wanted to do is kind of have that experience where I'm not really seeing other hunters. I wanted to get away from everybody. Right. So at that point I got, um, I got a lone wolf tree stand for, for, uh, my birthday, I believe it was. And, uh, I set that out and that was kind of where I first started getting mobile. I, uh, but to my extent, I got mobile more so cause I didn't want to leave my tree stand to get stolen. I still went to the same tree st- t- spots, hung my stands, uh, in these areas and kind of, uh, took them down every night and, and packed out, but it was more so cause I didn't want it to get stolen. Right. So, um, Again, I was getting pictures of buck on cameras, but they were mainly nocturnal for the most part. And again, I'd sit these kind of, the game commission does a good job up there for the most part, putting in lots of different, not a lot, but like there's different areas that have like food plots and so forth at the plant. So again, I was still kind of focused in on seeing those field edges and it really wasn't really panning out for me uh, to sit those field edges. So that's where the last one to two years, I'm like, I need to do something different. Like, I need to get deeper in there. I need to hunt thicker cover. And that's kind of where this season took me, where I said, I'm not hanging any more tree stands. I'm going to 
this lone wolf. I'm going to hike in everywhere I go. I had a mountain bike that I tricked out maybe a couple of years ago that have a bow rack on the top and have a, a little uh, platform on the back of it so I can pedal into these spots. And I'm like, I'm, I'm just going to go in with my stand, look for sign and, uh, and hang and hunt. That's so awesome. Kind of my- like, well, first off, we heard about that infamous, uh, mountain bike that you got going on from t- from Tim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not a picture during turkey season uh, with a, a nice decoy in the back as I was riding around. That's awesome. Well, we, uh, so. like growing up and like you were saying, I don't remember like the area that I grew up hunting, there was no field edges, but like, like you, when I graduated college and started working and I started getting back into hunting, I remember doing that same thing of like, okay, what do I want to bow hunt again? Because I grew up bow hunting at it when I was 12 years old and I loved it. Like that was like that magic like time for me. And my dad always put that in my head. Like there's no time like archery season and, and turkey season. Like th- those are his two favorite uh, times of year to go out. And I remember as I'm watching these shows, like bow hunter died. And like you said, the field edges. And I'm like, where do I hunt this? What the heck do I do? And I remember the first time that it was actually right before I started going with Dimitri and I, I went over to state college, uh, to, to, to hunt and I'm out by near this Penn state area where it is actually, you can hunt, uh, only archery only in this area. And they, it was a good spot, but it, I, as I'm sitting there and this actually happened to me then like two years later, deep into the area, but I should have known better. The ROTC kids just uh, come like piling through as I'm sitting <laughs> on the edge of, uh, in a, in a climber. I'm like, I, I thought this is what I got to do is sit on these edges. Cause I would see deer in that area, but, uh, it was a big learning curve for me to be like, okay, just go back to your roots. It's, it's not this area. Um, is that something that you kind of figured that out? Like, okay, th- this is not happening because it's not typical what these deer are used to going to do. Yeah. It, it was one of those things where like, it, it looks like a beautiful spot and yeah. it would be a great to take of sitting from the tree stand, but it just wasn't where the deer were per se. Yeah. Like I said, I, I started getting into the trail cameras and I, I had maybe two or three I'd put out and then progressed to maybe seven or eight. And now I'm up to, I don't know, 10 or 12 different trail cameras and I'll put them out. And like in these areas, I was getting pictures of buck and they were always nocturnal, even in the summer. But like I said, in my, in my head, I was hoping that they would still come out. Like yeah. I was wishing they'd come out more so in the daylight, but they weren't even coming out of daylight. So I knew like I was in their feeding area, like those hit, hit hunting those field edges, but, again, with, with PA and the amount of pressure you get from people, they're, they're not going to be coming out there in daylight to be feeding in those areas. So yeah. I think after a couple of years of kind of that trial and error of, of just sitting there and waiting, I realized that I need to do something different. If I want to have an opportunity to kill these nice deer that I'm actually getting on camera. Well, I even think new hunters right now have a wealth of knowledge to really uh, figure out where they hunt and, and kind of simulate that a little bit more, especially with the hunting public that kind of dives into these mountainous areas now. And, you know, and numerous other, uh, hunting groups out there that are influencers on YouTube, um, and some of these other channels back when we grew up, you know, it was just basically outdoor channel sportsman's channel. And a lot of guys, that's all they did is, is the, the field edge hunting and, and, you know, not diving in deeper until later in the year. So, you know, someone like your situation, Tom, uh, you didn't have a lot of different dynamics of information to really rely on. And same for us. I mean, like Jeremy just said, I mean, we're mountain hunters, so we didn't really have the opportunity to kind of use that to our knowledge 
when we went out hunting. But I think if you're a new hunter and you're diving into it, you can really find a lot of information that really pertains to yourself is which is really going to help you become a better hunter quicker um, than kind of back early on, you really kind of was word of mouth or, you know, whether you're going to your pro shop or having a few buddies that you can kind of bounce some ideas off of. So I think, you know, if you're a new hunter and you're really coming out, you know, you have all those resources you can really rely on and and kind of figure out what's going to work for you and depending on what the terrain and and property that you're going to hunt is like. Yeah. The whole mountain buck thing has really taken off the last couple of years. I think there's definitely been more of a, like a, an interest from a lot of people and there's a lot more information out there to kind of help people get started. Like I said, with more uh, positive results and kind of yeah. knowing like what to actually look for instead of kind of, like I said, us, that was kind of more watching the Midwest and trying to be the Midwest here, but that's not what we have. So we have to take advantage of what we have here. Exactly. Yeah. And I think too, the whole, apps as far as on x and those other types of platforms how much they help even you know even us but also like demetria you were saying like new hunters that you know whether individuals move and they're trying to learn a whole brand new area they play a big 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 role just because like you said hey i'm i'm noticing uh you know uh you know, like, like certain points or certain things on ridges. If you have all these uh, spots marked on your phone, like kind of a bell should go off like, Oh, well maybe this is why. And I'm going to look for this now in a certain terrain, a certain terrain feature at a certain spot. And those kind of, that was a big thing for me learning, you know, how to read a map a few years ago, just to help me back at home, uh, locate deer. And, you know, kind of like you were saying, Tom, growing up, it was, here's this, here's your spots, Jer, go here. And that's what I did. And I would see deer just because my dad, it was just always, uh, you know, he, he knew what he was doing, but it, there wasn't the, the reason why behind that. And I think, you know, once I could start to understand that little bit of why it makes it more fun and, and actually more challenging because then when things don't pan out, it's okay. Why did, why did they not pan out? So it's kind of, it's like a, I don't know. It's a fun, it's why we hunt. <laughs> it's just that challenge and that, that experience. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, like I said, it's taking a step farther and being more an active hunter than just passively sitting there during rifle season, waiting for something to come by. And that's, that's what I really have grown to love about archery. It's like, you just really get after it and, and kind of it's so much goes into it. And I, I mean, a huge part also is luck too, I feel yeah. like, but uh, having, knowing kind of where to, the deer are going to be at is kind of the, the key to, to success. And that's why my biggest thing I always think about it's, it's food, water, cover. Those are the, the three things I always go back to when I think about, all right, if I'm going to approach an area, these are the three things I want to look for. Cause obviously you know that deer are, are kind of edge creatures and they're going to be kind of in those edge terrain and so forth. So kind of my strategy going forward has been starting to do more of like, I'll use the Onyx, which is, is a huge help, but also even the, the, the PA game commission's website, if you can kind of navigate that map area, mm-hmm. they get a wealth of information Like you can filter out and see where the clear cuts are. I think from as back to 2006, currently, if you're looking on there, when it's last clear cut, a lot of things now you're seeing a lot of prescribed burns going on in a lot of these game land areas. Yeah. They'll tell you, like I said, some of the burns that happened like last year or like what's imminent for this upcoming season and so forth. So you have burns that are going on. They also also label kind of where like a thermal cover is where a lot of thick pines are, oaks, um, young aspen groves and so forth. So kind of 
using Onyx and then also looking at the, the game commission and looking for, I, I kind of focus in on where the most diverse different types of habitat and kind of what's going on. Cause obviously clear cuts in, in the big woods here, like there's really food, food is, is pretty scarce. Like when you're in this, this mountainous area that I'm hunting, um, it's a lot of beach. It's a lot of kind of just swamp areas and, and, and pines and everything. And food's kind of one of those things that's hard to find. So by looking and focusing on these clear cut areas or, or burn areas is kind of where I like to, to start. Or even, like I said, the, those food plots that the game commission will put in and, and, and manage and so forth. Um, so that's kind of what I kind of first start out. And usually starting after the season's over, anytime now I start kind of putting boots in the ground and picking out all these spots that I, I want to check out and see what where the deer sign, where they, the trails are, where old rubs are. And I've become a big component of finding scrapes because as you know, deer scrape kind of almost all year round. I, I've had pictures in the summertime of them working, licking branches and, and so forth. And that's something I put a huge emphasis on this past season. That's interesting to know too, just because, you know, we always hear like, Oh, where do you fall on the rubs? Are you going to follow the scrapes? And, you know, people have that different opinion of whatever success they've had, but I want to talk Tom, like now, like you talked about a couple of years ago, how you're, you started trekking on that public land. Uh, have you just, do you still go on private at all? Or are you still, you know, strictly now going on, on public? So, uh, this year I did hang one stand on, on private just to have as a resource, but I never went there and hunted at all this past season. So yeah. I've kind of like said, kind of gotten away from the whole private thing. I'll still put cameras there in the summer time and, and do all of that. But I, I just found in that area too, that I'm, I'm focusing on a lot of the buck are in there in the summer. Then they kind of disperse throughout yeah. the, once the season starts. So it's kind of, I use it more now as like, if I want to get a doe down, I'll go into that. Right. That area. Right. Well, I want to, let's dive into to a little bit about this, this awesome PA buck that you shot. I want to, cause Dimitri and I, we, we, we talked about it on the podcast and even some of the videos that we recently uh, released on our YouTube is, you know, our goal for this season was to get a little bit more aggressive early to try to go in, you know, ho try, hopefully find the deer, you know, like you were saying early on. And, you know, if we're getting closer to the season, when you start seeing that buck still, you know, come on that daylight pattern, like maybe you have that opportunity, you know what I mean? Like there is that, that, that chance. So I want to just kind of like, so we'll go out on record right now. We'll jump ahead a little bit. <laughs> you, you, you drilled that buck that first weekend, second October weekend. Eight. First, first week. October yeah. Eight. So that first week. All right. So what was your, did you have any goal starting out for this upcoming past season? What was like, what, what, what coming into the hunting season before October 3rd, what was your, uh, what was your, your mindset and, and your, and your wish list goal, goal list coming into that? So my goal this year was to kill a mature buck on, on public land here in PA. That was, that was what I was set out to, to, to try to achieve. Um, in the past, I, I've gotten pictures of nice buck in the past, um, that I've tried to target without really much success. So yeah. I, I, I had two areas kind of that I was really focusing in on, which I'll, I'll kind of get into detail more about that. But I, um, I had a couple, maybe five buck that I would consider mature deer on cameras. So that was my goal was to try to set out after whatever one was the most killable. Um, and one of them of the five bucks happened to be this beautiful buck with a, a nice drop time that I ended up uh, getting on camera in the summer. So. Nice. Um, so I guess by saying I, I had two areas that I was focused in on, 
One was because the previous year I had this, I mean, this deer was probably close to 200 pounds I had on, on camera, this huge eight pointer that was walking <laughs> by. Uh, I think I actually went to, uh, to Colorado last uh, November, um, the first week of, of November. And I don't know if you guys remember last uh, November's archery here, but it was beautiful weather, nice cold front. I think I came back and every one of my cameras had daylight deer that would, I would have considered shooters when I was out in Colorado, but I did shoot a nice mule deer. So I guess that's uh, a <laughs> give I'll or take on that. that one. Yeah. You, you could settle for yeah, that one. Yeah. So I wanted to go back in that area where I had this big buck in. So it's that area kind of had these two big clear cuts kind of alongside this ridge. And I had cameras set up in a cluster kind of in between these two clear cuts. And uh, I actually had an opportunity at a nice eight pointer last season uh, rattling. He came all of a sudden, maybe after a little rattling sequence, about three or four minutes later, I just hear this rustling in this clear cut and this buck stepped out and was about 75 yards above me. Unfortunately, my wind was blowing up to him and he kind of, kind of caught wind of me and took off. But uh, it was an area I wanted to focus on this year. So in that area, I probably had on camera, I started with maybe pictures of three or four different buck that I consider probably 120 class deer this summer. Um, so that was an area I definitely wanted uh, to check out. There was a new spot though, that I, I, I went scouting in March. So that's kind of where the story starts for this deer that I shot. Um, I went back in this area. It's, there's a big clear cut on there. There's a swamp. There's a nice Creek running through it. And it's kind of a lot of ridges. Okay. Uh, primarily I would say it's Oaks mixed with pines is kind of the, uh, the, the tree cover and everything. Um, so I went back in there and, and the back end of this, of, on this main trail, the game commission had a couple fields. So my goal in, in March was going back there just to see what these fields were, because again, I had a Creek alongside it. I had the Ridge, I had the, the these fields and I was looking for thick cover. Cause I wanted to, food water cover to see what's going on. So when I went back there in March, all along these fields, there was scrapes, big scrapes that I was finding. And I also found a, a big kind of signpost rub in that area too. So I'm like, oh, this is perfect. Like this is a spot I definitely want to check out. So uh, come summertime, I went back in there again. There was maybe, maybe four fields back there. A lot of them were just kind of overgrown grassy areas, nothing too, too crazy, but there was this one field that had clover in it, I guess the year before. And it was, it was beautiful clover. Like it was almost like, again, we're watching bow hunter die, like them hunting yeah. over their plots they put in. So I'm like, oh, this is perfect. So I set up a camera kind of right on a tree looking into this, in this field and, uh, left, left out of there. Uh, I came back about a month later and I checked this camera and I kid you not, I was getting pictures of about 12 to 14 deer feeding in this, in this clover plot. Like, unbelievable like again for the deer density for the area like i was so surprised to even see that many deer on this camera um and then i'm scrolling through photos and all of a sudden i just had this picture of this buck out in kind of the middle of the field and it's just this this awesome mainframe 10 pointer and it looked like almost off that left side that he was starting to form what looked like possibly a drop time at that point this was i think it was june that i they first checked that camera um, so just beautiful looking deer. Again, that was one photo in daylight time around six o'clock or so I had him on. So my boss is awesome. So I kind of backed out a little bit, came back next month and again, consistently getting pictures of this deer. So now like the whole, the gears are turning, like this buck is coming into this field, but 
this is where he's feeding and, and most of these pictures now i only got that one ever daylight photo of him that first time i actually got him on camera the rest he started it was all nocturnal right. pictures of him feed, feeding in this field so i did not want to make that mistake that, like i had in the past of kind of hunting this field edge i wanted to backtrack where he's coming from to find out where he's bedding and where i can actually kill him in daylight um so our, our mutual buddy tim he, i invited him to hike back with me one day just to kind of show him the property and the layout and everything and get a, get a sense of, of what he was thinking. So this area is kind of like a, like a, a there's a Creek bottom with fields and there's a, there's two ridges that run parallel to this trail. And then there's another ridge that runs perpendicular on the, when the other ridge that's perpendicular, it's private. So I'm at the, pretty much the very end of, of, of public land here. Um, so we kind of backtrack up on this ridge and it's all kind of thick laurel cover. So we're walking up there and I just happen to look in this higher stem count laurel area. And I just see this, this licking branch that like anybody who even doesn't even know what a licking branch is, would have. <laughs> it was just like the size of your, your, your pinky just snapped off, just dangling there. And you can see where the, the, the dirt was kind of scraped away. I'm like, Oh, this is perfect. So I hang another camera there and uh, we back out and I go back and check that camera. I think that this is around August now. I checked that camera and I had the picture of that drop time buck, uh, at about 6 30 uh, PM on that camera. So I'm like, Oh, perfect. Like I kind of am starting to nail in where he, he might be bedded at. So, um, I had another camera at th this point, it's getting closer to the season. It's almost September. Um, I moved my camera off that field edge a little bit back in, in the woods. Cause at that point, Usually when I put cameras out, I never really see other guys, other hunters trail cameras, but come September, that's when there starts to be more influx of other hunters. So I didn't really want anyone to, I was right on the field edge. I didn't want people to see the camera, steal it. Funny story is actually, uh, I had, I thought I was sneaky for having the camera where I had it. I, I had a picture of this college girl actually walked back by herself and sat in this field and was like taking selfies with my trail camera, like right in front of me. I didn't even know, like, I'm scrolling through, buck, 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 doe, doe, doe. And now you see this girl taking selfies, like had a blanket out. It was like taking a little look at everything in this field. That was the only thing I ever got on trail camera back there. So props for her for hiking all the way back in there. So, Jeez. Um, yeah. So I kind of uh, pulled that camera back a little bit. And then I like things do in September, trail camera started slowing down a little bit. I wasn't really getting the, the activity that I wanted on them from seeing the, seeing that buck. Um, I ended up getting a picture of him on September 11th. He was coming at about 5 a.m. up that ridge where, where that uh, scrape was. Um, so that's kind of the last time I had a picture of him. So this is kind of now leading up till our opening day, which was October 3rd. Um, so on October 3rd, I went back in there. I, I hung a stand right kind of next to that scrape where I had activity at, um, didn't see any deer that whole sit, um, did see one small bear actually run by through those laurels, but that was about it. Now, um, before you move on, Tom, before you started the season, you had a lot of Intel on this deer. Now, what was your game plan moving forward? I, I know you just said you had a, you had a stand hung, uh, by the licking branch, was there some sort of plan? You're only going to hunt evenings. You're only going to hunt mornings. Were you going to, you know, hang closer to the field and then eventually dive back? What was your mindset as far as game plan starting from the first day? And then if things pan out, 
uh, certain ways where you're going to move to moving forward. So, so my mindset was I didn't want to hunt the field edge at all. Like I knew I wanted to stay away from that. Cause again, that was kind of also with, with our year, how it was looking, we, it was a pretty dry summer. We also didn't really have any acorns, which again, all these trees that are around me are pines and acorns. So there wasn't really any acorns dropping. I didn't see any on the trees. So I, I knew that that field early season would probably be where they're going to go to. Now, when I had my camera out throughout the summer, looking into that field, I would say about 75% of the photos was him coming from the left side, which would have been off this ridge coming in that way to feed. Um, I did occasionally get pictures of him coming from the right side, coming in that way as well. So I knew the majority of the time it was going to be on the left side on this ridge. So I knew I wanted to get somewhere in that area and kind of where the thicker cover was. Like, like I said, the top was kind of all laurels and everything like that. So I knew it was higher stem count, better cover for them rather than the open hardwood. So that's kind of where my plan initially started to, to approach just because of that's where I had him on the scrapes and thinking maybe I would, I'd catch him early checking it. So on, on the first day I went out, that's, that was my game plan with, with my work schedule. I do seven days in a row on and I'm off for seven days. So really my early season approach is I, I, I don't hunt mornings that often unless I have Intel saying the buck are coming by at shooting hours in the morning. So I knew most of my sits in early October were going to be in the afternoon sits. So, um, also another key factor. So that, that October 3rd, the first day of our season, I, I just saw that bear, didn't see any deer. The next time I went out was going to be on Thursday. And the reason why I picked that Thursday was because the temperatures, when I was looking at, at uh, it, we were kind of in the, the high sixties in the start of the season, but on that Thursday, the temperature dropped nine degrees. So I wanted to take the, uh, that opportunity to get out for that little bit of temperature drop to see if, if, if that buck would have gone up on his feet a little bit earlier. So that was my thought on my next sit. Did you end up seeing him at all? I know kind of even just talking through like Tim's uh, buck this past season, like how he was able to get eyes on him and just kind of move closer and put that puzzle together. What, what ended up happening on that, that next sit that you had? So the, the next sit, so again, I didn't see any deer that first sit. And just to kind of also a little back information, that spot is about, I think it was about close to two miles to get back there. So I would, I took my mountain bike, I had everything in it and I, I would pedal back and, and get in there um, and then hike in the rest of the way. So in that second sit, because I didn't see anything the first time, I'm like, all right, like, even though the majority of my pictures, he was coming off this ridge, I wanted to, to just kind of look for a fresh sign and check this other side where occasionally he'd come from. So I kind of went down, I crossed uh, th this other side where the, of, of the way from the, uh, the food plots was kind of like this creek bottom area that um, came off of this, the, the two ridges coming together. Um, I walked along that almost to the, to the end of the public where it got private. And that private area kind of looked like there was a lot of thick cover back in there. So I, I thought maybe he was bedding back in there and then, then coming over at nighttime to feed. But I, I really didn't see any sign that I liked. So I, I, I hiked for a while back there. I turned around and it was one of those things you ever get in a situation where you're you want to hang a stand, but you know, you probably shouldn't. Yeah. And I, in the worst way, I was like, I just want to hang a stand here and like, just, just sit here for the night. But in the back of my mind, I was thinking like, no, like just you, you, you're moving to look for fresh sign. Just keep on that mentality and, and keep going until you find something you like. So I kind of worked that area. I walked out. 
I actually bumped two dough on my way back out and I, I went back into those food plots. So now I'm thinking, all right, where do I go? So I ended up kind of going farther down on the ridge, crossed up it, and then went back the backside of it. Now on Onyx, I, I was prior, and I didn't really scout much per se back there, but I could tell on the map that you could kind of see more space between the, the trees when you're looking on the map. So when I, I went across the ridge and I went down a little bit, so now I'm on the opposite side, kind of on the very top, and I, I walk it back to where the scrape was. So as I'm walking back, I, I look down, and it was almost like a storm maybe passed through there a couple of years ago and knocked a bunch of trees down. So it's all kind of real, a lot of, lot of blowdowns and a lot of young trees coming up and grasses and everything. So I'm like, well, this looks like it could be a good bedding area. Not even five minutes after thinking that, I ended up bumping a nice, a decent eight-pointer into doe. They actually ran, ran along the ridge in front of me. Now, as I'm walking, I'm going north. My, my wind that day was northwest, so I knew I had a good wind. So they kind of trotted off, but didn't really go too far. So I didn't really want to hang a stand right there. I wanted to kind of move up a little bit farther, just again, because I wasn't really seeing any great sign. So I, I walked up a little bit farther, still wasn't really seeing anything I liked, but then I bumped those deer again. They, went, they trotted off a little bit farther. So now I'm like, all right, I don't really want to keep on pushing these deer. I, I'm still, again, above all of this thick cover that's below me. So I end up hanging a stand right there. So kind of to, to explain my setup, I was um, pretty much almost at the top of this ridge on the other side. About 25 yards to my left-hand side is the Laurel Ridge. If you went over that, it's a small little saddle, and it actually takes you right down to where that scrape was. So I'm probably a total of 75 yards away from that scrape just on the other side of that ridge. Okay. Down below me, like I said, is all this thick cover and I'm kind of like in a more open piney area. So I hang my stand there. Uh, I ended up sitting a few hours, didn't see any, any deer at all. Again, thinking to myself, probably again, not a great setup. I didn't, really didn't see any great sign. Um, kind of playing in my mind what I want to do the next six. Uh, I didn't see anything at all. As I'm, as I'm thinking about that, it, it kind of hits, sun, sunset hits now. I look down below me and I see some brown walking out of, out of that thick cover. It was still probably about 100 yards away from me. I couldn't really make out what it was. So I'm just sitting there waiting to see what, what happens with this, with this deer. So the deer starts walking up towards me. So at this point, I get the binos out to see if I can identify if it's a doe, if it's a, if it's a buck, what it is. So I put the binos up and immediately I see that left side and I see that drop tie and come down. And I'm like, Oh my God, like it's, that's the drop <laughs> right down there. Like, so now I'm starting to shake and I'm like, all right, like be calm, like just see what he does. And this thing came in on, on a string. Like he, he was coming right up towards me. Like it got to the point where he was coming up. He was 30 yards, 25 yards, 20 yards, 15 yards. So I had my bow in my hand at this point and he's, it, it was almost like there was an old quad trail right in front of me. He was going to kind of step out onto this, this quad trail. And I, I feel like what he was going to do was walk up and go right in between the saddle and drop down where the scrape was to go down, maybe check the scrape and then go down to the food plots. And just to, if you were to draw a straight line from Onyx, from where those food plots were to where I was, it was about a half a mile. So that's how far away from it I was. Um, so he's walking up and it's got to the point where he was getting too close that I, my, my shot, I didn't want him to get any closer to me because I didn't want the shot angle to be 
even tighter than already it already was. Right. He just kind of turned a little bit, a little bit to his his right side enough that I I just pulled back and it was probably about a ten to twelve yard shot and I just drilled him right uh right behind the shoulder, but the arrow sank right down in him and I could see maybe about five inches of arrow sticking out of him and he he took off darted straight down that hill right into that thick cover kind of on a, a dead sprint and at that point i was i was shaking i i, I texted uh i think I, I texted tim at first and was like dude i just shot the drop time buck and he I, I, it was probably like 10 seconds later he gives me a call and he's like like he's like i just want to hear you how emotional you are and everything like that after shooting and he's like dude I'll, I'll be right up like i'll come help you out and he was like i think 45 minutes away he was just getting down from from the stand I'm like oh no it's okay like my, my dad's with me um, I had my dad kind of on the other end of, of game lands in another spot that I had scouted out. I'm like, he'll help me out. Like, don't worry about it. I think it was like two minutes after I hung up on him. I'm like, you know what? Like I need Tim. Like I got to call him back and I called him back and I'm like, he's like, yeah, I'll be right up. So I'm like, okay. So that's kind of where we're at. That's crazy, man. I just, I don't even know what to say. I mean, just kind of how, how, it's not over till it's over. And, you know, you put in that, like, I'm glad you brought up the whole quad trail, you know, kind of like how you were saying of, of stepping onto that. Cause that my, my thing for me this past season was like, okay, where, like, where's that fresh sign? Where's that trail to wherever there's a good tree for me to get to, um, you know, kind of like what you were saying too, like, where are they going from bedding to, to, to feeding and just try to find that, that magic spot. And, you know, for us, it didn't really work out to, for us but uh early on like that when you are able to get a nice buck on camera multiple times and come up with a game plan that's where it's doable that's where if you do your homework man that's the beauty of it and, and that that chess match is hopefully you're able to have that one up on them and you did yeah and i i guess it was one of those things i i hope that uh i luck definitely was on my side that day but i hope i put a little bit of my my skill to the to help me get that deer. Like I, I just feel like being in that saddle area, just on that, that leeward side and just above that thick cover, like knowing that's where he was bedding. And because of the no acorns and that food plot is probably where he's feeding. I think that's kind of the whole strategy of what came into play. Cause I really, there really wasn't any fresh sign. Like I said, I didn't see any fresh rubs or anything going in there. I just kind of happened to look at the terrain at where I was at that point and didn't really want to move any farther up. And I just kind of, just decided that was the spot to hang a hang the stand at. Like I think I sent you guys a video of of that spot, and there yeah. really was nothing special about it. It just again was on a ridge above some thick cover, and it just got lucky enough that that's the path that that deer decided to take at that time. So, um, but yeah, like it was one of those things. I, I again, I'm, I'm two miles back now. I had to uh, un- take my stand down, pack all that out, and I didn't even want to. I went right where the impact site was. And I knew it was going to be tough because with that arrow, that angle of the shot, the arrow was still in them. So I, I knew there probably wasn't going to be a whole lot of blood to follow. And I knew it was going to be probably a difficult scout. So I just kind of, or a uh, track job. So I just pulled all my stuff, went back, pedaled my way back to the truck. My dad was back at this time as well from where he was sitting at, waited for Tim to, to get there. And then uh, we, we hiked back in again. It was probably about nine o'clock or so by the time I got back to that tree where I shot the buck. And that's when the, the trailing started. And um, I think we went 30 yards before we actually found, I, I kid you not, like a, a pin drop size of blood. And we just kind of on our hands and knees just followed. I knew again, he went, he darted straight down this hill. So I kind of had an idea 
a lot of the time we were just following that the, the, the tracks and that's that's a, a big thing too with trailing uh, tracking deer it's it's if you have those shots where you don't get a lot of blood it's just kind of looking at the habitat and seeing what that deer did like the fact that the leaves being kicked up and just following the tracks and everything like that i think definitely was important and that's what led us to eventually find them um probably i think from onyx when i when i measured it, it was about 219 yards that he he ran straight down that hill till we found them but he was like he was going through all these blowdowns and everything and finally i found him and he was kind of in this little this little bowl almost like if you were in a in a lake and you moved the rock away that little indentation he just went right into an indentation like that and i actually thought he was still alive because i just saw his he was just almost like laid down in it and you just saw the his back and everything like that and um like i said i took a, a jump back when i first saw him so I'm like, oh, i hope he's not still still kicking and but he was already he, he 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 died instantly after that shot and um like i said that arrow was buried in him got lung upper lung and everything so well and, and i think well, I think that goes to show you too. I mean, most people going into that spot, jumping that that eight pointer with that doe, you know, you would think, oh, I busted this area. Yeah. You know, might as well move on or, or dive deeper just because of the fact that, you know, he winded me, everything else in that area is going to kind of figure out. And I think we're starting to see that even on public ground that's high pressured that you can get away with a little more as far as, trying to find that sign and maybe you do bump a deer and, and it's not that big of a deal as long as they don't catch your wind. And I think that's another example. We've been talking about that numerous times with yeah. different people on our podcast, how, you know, you can get away with more than what you really believe. And, and that's a prime example of that. Now that you kind of, before you get into putting your hands on the deer, do you know why that deer kind of, took that route up over the ridge because like you said, you didn't really find a scrape or a trail or, you know, rubs that he was kind of like a rub line. He was, he was following. Um, can you kind of maybe, maybe you don't even know, but do you, can you, now that you're thinking about it a little bit later, why he took that, that route that night? I mean, the only thing I could think of is that just because of that saddle, that just a slight dip in that, that ridge there and the, the kind of like just easier, the, the road that easier traveled like that. Hey, that's probably why he just decided to go that route. Cause again, he was coming almost to my tree, like, and he was going to go to my tree and then go right up over, over the top of this ridge. So I just think that was a better path for him to take. And at the time, and I, again, there was really no, when I was in that area, there was, I never saw another tree stand. I never saw really much other hunter sign. I think he just felt safe traveling that, that route to, to get where he needed to go. Um, so that, that's, that's kind of all I can say of why maybe he, he did what he did that night. Now, when you're talking about too, like, I mean, one, two miles back and that, that's a hike for anybody, let alone, you know, your typical, just, you know, weekend warrior in, in a sense, as a hunter is concerned, what type of access, you know, even from that other side, is there or is there none? For Dimitri and I, you know, we look at that now. You know, if we go in one spot, it's actually a pretty easy to like. If we're like, oh, we get, if we hiking up here and go, you know, a mile or just over a mile, but from that other side, it's actually easy access to get to that same spot. Like, what kind of 
access do you have to deal with as far as like that other side? Because, you know, you could look at it and that's why that deer could live and be comfortable. He's close to private and could just, you know, just jump over there and he's, he's safe. So uh, when I, uh, those private pieces, I don't think he'd be safe anywhere because they're all hunting and gun clubs that were all around Mm -hmm. on the planet. So, um, and there was no other access that way. So like if you were on public, that's, there's no easy way to get into that area that I was at. There was, if you were kind of going on a little bit farther down okay. the, on, on the, on the public, you can get the same, same way without going on a main trail, but either way you have to put the, the distance in to get back there. Right. And again, I, I, with Pennsylvania, there's no such thing as a secret spot, even, even in the mountain. <laughs> so I, uh, after I killed that buck and everything, I, I went scouting around a little bit farther. And I actually, after, um, when we were trailing that deer, tracking that deer, he was, there was a doe bound down there too, as well, walking. Like I could hear another deer walking around in there as we were going down there. And initially me and Tim thought it, it was, it was that buck that was cruising around still and uh, was going to take off wounded. But, um, I, I bumped doe out in another area. So it, another time when I was back in that area. So it's definitely like a, an area they like to be at. And with all that thick cover and blowdowns, I think that's kind of the prime bedding in that area. But um, I, I was walking down there because I'm like, oh, like no one's going to be back here. I'm going to go a little bit lower and try to find some other spots for next season. And where that deer died, 100 yards away, there was a tree stand, a lone wolf I found uh, hanging with sticks up in it. So I don't know if they can't, they, they probably were coming off private because it didn't really make any sense for anybody from public to, they drop down and go through all that thick stuff. You you bust everything out going right. in that way. Right. I think it was somebody off, off private. So again, you think you have a spot that's secluded and two miles back, but <laughs> the will is away, I guess. That's crazy, right, Dimitri? You know that. Yep. That's our story every year. Yeah. So I guess I just got luckier and got to that deer before that other hunter could have done it. So well now let's talk about you know, you're starting to get the blood trail going and uh, how, how, what, uh, on your hands and knees, you come up to him, he's in that little divot, like you're saying, what, what was your reaction? Uh, I, I was in shock. Like I, I just, I couldn't believe that after all of this, like it finally paid off. Like, again, like you guys, like deer hunting is like 365. Like that's, oh, yeah. that's, that's what I think about. So my, my girlfriend would, uh, probably like a day or two that I wasn't on Onyx or, or, or thinking or watching YouTube. <laughs> like I said, it's just, it's one of feelings when things finally like all come together and all your hard work finally pays off and again I, my, my buddies give me crap for carrying all this stuff back and doing all this stuff and um it's just one of those things it's just it's a sweet feeling when it finally comes together and, and anybody you just put in the time and the effort and eventually lady luck's going to be on your side and, and hopefully you're, someone else is also sitting behind a, a nice buck that that they dream about so um yeah it, it was a sweet feeling and as soon as it, this, uh, the sweetness wore off, it was one of those things we had to get to work. So we uh, kind of starting into the whole Western thing, like the last two years, um, I kind of kind of incorporated that into the, the PA hunting. Like I, anymore, I don't, I used to rock the, the, the rubber boots and everything. And now I'm running like Salewa mountain hiking boots and I have a frame pack that I carry with me. So uh, me and Tim ended up just butchering the, the deer right there, packing it out. Um, and, and it was a, it was a refreshing thing. I, I don't, I, I'm sure you guys know too, like just that whole like adventure style hunting is just becoming a lot more popular. And there's no reason why we can't do it here in PA. We have the opportunity, you have the, 
the conditions for for all of this and it, it, it's it's a great time it's a great experience like nothing nothing beats packing a, a deer out with your friends and your, your your family so um like i said we got out of there with that deer and i think i, I clocked about eight miles total uh, <laughs> between the initial scouting all around before i found a tree and everything and going back and forth so it was it was a long day uh, you earned it, it man was, that's that's a hell of a buck and you earned it and that's uh you know i just i'm just a, such a cool story and just hearing that you you put in the, the trail cams over the summer and just you know progressing you were in there over march doing the late season like scouting now for you know for next year and uh you know and you have that happen you know how many times have you hunted like you said for past couple seasons where you would see deer on camera but you don't see them you're just wishing you you see them and that's something where when you do that and you have that opportunity it means a little bit more uh and like man like even for, for me like i have no ties to this story whatsoever other than you coming on our platform to to share it but like i feel that like i feel you going putting in that work and that and just i don't know having that opportunity it's just something that we all hunters i think dream about and when you do it and it's successful man it's it's just, i don't know i feel free it's awesome <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, it's, it's it's something like I said you can't beat. That's what we do. It. So it's it's what we love and it's our passion. So, um, like I said, I definitely think moving forward for next year. Like again, I think the, the biggest things is that that preseason scouting. I think is, is key. Like finding these areas that you want to be in, and then uh, cameras are a double edged sword. Like I said, oh, I yeah. spent a lot of time chasing ghosts that never would show up. But I think you got to kind of know what the deer, what deer are in the area that you want to go after first to kind of. Uh, have game plan plan set. So I'm a big fan of those Tasco $29 cameras. So I, I plan on buying another dozen of those and just kind of throwing them all over the mountains this summer just to, to see what's there. And then from there, just kind of try it, try it again. Yeah. That's all we can do. Well, what, uh, so that's done early October. What were you thinking? Like, you know, you have, like you said, you had your emotions, you're high, you're all pumped up. And then like, once you come down that little bit, like what is your man, my, my, my PA buck tag, tag is filled. Well, now what, what was your thought process now? Like New York <laughs> right away? Well, my, uh, well, my next thought process was I want to get my dad a buck. Like I got him, like I got him a crossbow just cause he wasn't able to do the whole compound thing. So I wanted to get him a deer. So, Again, all my spots that I had mapped out and everything like that and had trail camera pictures, I was putting him in it. I had a, one of my best friends from uh, from high school. He is uh, starting to get into archery a little bit more, so I was putting him in my other spots, just trying to get them on deer, and, and it would have been his first deer if he got something. So I kind of spent some time doing that, and in the sidelines, I was waiting for Tim to shoot his buck finally, and then uh, we were done ho for New York. So I think I ended up oh, going up to New York about six times in archery season, and I tell you what, like if, if, if anybody tags out early enough in this, in our PA season, you have to get to New York. Like it's, it's awesome. Like I, I set out where I was going to go to spots like that were a few hundred acres that I can scout on on exit for a day and just walk around. And I wanted to be within two hours of home so I can come back. And, um, out of those six times, I think three of the times I saw a buck, I actually got a shot at a buck and, and hit one that I wasn't able to recover, um, on, that warm spell that first week in November. And then, uh, me and Tim were up there the one, one time. And, uh, it was towards the end of the season, I think uh, November 19th. And it was the high of the day was 24 with felt like 14 with the wind chill. sat all day in the stand. Oh, we took a little break in the afternoon, but sat in the stand. It was all snowy and 
was about 4.15 and I was sitting, again, I, I, I'm picking these areas that are diverse habitat features. It was kind of like a pine grove that was next to a, a clear cut that was next to a swampy area that had some open hardwood. So I was kind of smack dab in the middle of that and ended up having this beautiful, probably 115 to 120 class eight pointer come out of this clear cut right at the last 20 minutes of light. And he, wind and thermals, unfortunately, weren't in my favor and we're going right towards him. I had him at 27 yards with the bow in hand, but couldn't get it back uh, to get a shot off. But yeah, New York was, was a lot of fun. So that's awesome. Uh, well, the, you just brought up like the wind and ther thermals, you know, you know, like you were saying, you just kind of picked up the bow again back in like 2013 or 2014. And um, when did you start like understanding that process and of the wind and thermals? And you know, was it early or, or is that a, a recent thing for you of, of understanding that? Um, yeah, I mean, when, when I rifle hunted, it, you kind of really didn't pay much attention. You, you sat in your stand and it was like one of those things. But uh, early on in, in archery, it kinda, I kind of started picking up that and. I wouldn't say I'm, I'm uh, a pro or anything like that at, at wind and thermals, but I always try to kind of have the wind in my favor for the most part. But again, listening to podcasts and everything, it's kind of, you almost want to have be on that, that, that fine line of having the, the wind in your favor, but also allowing the buck to have the wind in his favor too, to come in. Um, so I think that's important thing too, to kind of like play on, on, on that. Right. Um, a lot of times those deer are using the wind in their favor and you kind of have to give a little and take a little bit to try to have hopefully kind of seal the deal on one. That's a good point. Now, now Tom, you, you talk a lot about hunting clear cuts and, you know, uh, especially here in PA in, in our area as well, there's a lot of clear cuts and it's becoming more popular on state game land. Can you describe to someone maybe that's new or, or has clear cuts in their area, how you use those and, and maybe what you're looking for when you scout these areas, are you looking for a fresh clear cut or, you know, are you waiting till it gets to maybe uh, so many years builds up and then you look into the clear cut when it gets ages a little bit. Can you describe that process a little bit? Yeah. So, I, I mean, obviously the, the, the first year of a clear cut, it's going to be pretty, pretty open, open habitat. So they're, they're probably not going to be too doing too much bedding in that area per se, but um, it's, you're starting to get some of that young growth come up. So I think it's a good time to like, focus on feeding on those first few years, maybe the first year to, to three years or so they're going to be in there feeding and so forth. I actually have a spot that I want to check out that was just clear cut a year or two ago that's already starting to get grown up pretty nicely. And I think it's going to um, definitely be in the benefit of the deer for, for feed and everything. Um, so I, I, I kind of focus on those clear cuts that are probably under, under five years old um, per se. Once you start getting those, those, those saplings that are 10 foot taller, that just kind of gets impenetrable to even really go through. I kind of look at them more as probably potential bedding areas for, for the deer. So I'll kind of look at that per se, rather than a food source, um, even though I'm sure they're, they're in there feeding as well. But that clear cut in New York that I was, I was hunting at was probably an older clear cut. And I just felt like the deer were probably just bedding in there and coming out to, to feed in other, other spots. Um, so it definitely, definitely depends on, on the age of kind of what your focus is on for them. Um, but either way, I still kind of try to hunt around them the best I can, depending on what the wind is doing and what the thermals are doing and just looking for those signs of, of where they may be going in and out of. 
um, just to kind of narrow that down. Um, I said, I like to put cameras kind of all around the different, different sides of the clear cuts. And even if I can get into them, I'll try to put cameras inside just to kind yeah. of for my future, just knowing what they're behaving, what they're doing inside the clear cuts is also a benefit. And I've also found I even the one clear cut, I, I didn't get to hunt that, pro, the, the, that property that I had that big eight pointer last year that I was telling you about, but I put a camera right, right on this, uh, the old logging trail. And, and this thing is probably like a 15 plus year old clear cut. It's just thick, nasty. You couldn't even, if I jumped in it, I'd be floating on top of it. It's just, you can't <laughs> even hide there. But, um, I put a camera out, uh, on this quad trail as far as I can go in. And I had, I had five legal PA deer traveling in September and October on it. And they're obviously in there. It's again, I'm still trying to figure it out too, but, uh, definitely for, for any new hunter, I would kind of focus in on, on those kind of areas, just anywhere that's going to be, have the most diversity. Um, is kind of where I'd tell people to start at and just nothing replaces boots in the ground. You can do as much online scouting as you want, but until you get physically get there and see what the terrain is doing and what the habitat is like in person, it's that I think is the key. But at first I'd look for as much diversity as you can find to, to start scouting. Now that you brought up scouting, what's on the agenda for right now? Like what is your game plan going into obviously next year, but you know, for in the immediate future right now? Um, immediate future, uh, I'm, I'm definitely going to probably in the next couple of weeks here, start hitting a couple spots that I've already mapped out, um, that I, I want to hit up new areas and so forth that as, as much as I, I would like to go back to, and I, I probably will hunt in the area where I shot this buck this season. But another thing is I don't want to get too attached to a certain area, um, to kind of, again, I, I want to keep on moving and keep on locating those, those spots that are not getting as much pressure and have, or holding the deer like that spot that I was telling you about last year with that nice buck with one of those clear cuts. I had my buddy there in the first day of rifle and there was 15 plus trucks there. And, and, and I, I pulled cameras during bear season. I thought my cameras weren't working. I pulled three different cameras and I didn't have a single deer on them. Mm-hmm. So it's just one of those things. I, I just, you got to keep on moving and finding the deer and, and not really getting hung up on, on one area just because it has a sentimental value or anything like that. You just kind of, got to keep on picking new spots out and same thing if, if you, you hunt private like it's always it's nice to have private but you never know like you can lose that the next day you, you just have to kind of have multiple options but the same token don't get yourself too spread spread thin on having so many spots that you just don't know where to go because you have too many areas to check out like if you can have a solid two or three areas per se whether they're they're a hundred hundred acres or so that you want to kind of key in on. I think that's the key not to have too many, but two or three good spots that like, if you don't see anything here, you're going to bump to this spot and focus in on that area for a little bit of time just to, to try your luck. Like you're saying, have A, B, C, D, and E. And, and, you know, when things would look good, you know, you kind of, we circled those up and said, okay, this could be option. And when wind's good and here's, that is a good option. And Hey, there's too many, uh, trail stand or tree stands already back here or whatever. There's no trails and kind of just build upon until you do circle in Tom, like you said, like you do have two or four kind of good options that, you know, depending on when we'll, will play for you. Yeah. We really looked at it this year. I mean, we did more preseason scouting than, than we pretty much ever did and looking at different terrain features and, and 
we didn't know a lot, some spots if, if it was going to be overpopulated with other hunters or, you know, we found some areas with trail cameras and, and tree stands and, and kind of pushed away from those areas. But we had a lot of options this year. And, and then I think too, is even if it's a, an area that you've hunted before, the deer are always going to act differently. You know, we saw that this year where, you know, the one side of the ridge is, is always been good in, in the previous year. And, and what we found out is, is the sign told us that, you know, all the mature, well, actually all the bucks, there was what that really nice eight pointer that we were all after. There was a, a decent six pointer and, and a couple smaller bucks, but they were all on the other side of the ridge. And, and historically they've never been on that side. So, you know, um, it's a, a thing that we're going to have to really put the boots to the ground this year and see why they moved over to that ridge. And, and I think too, each year, even rescouting your normal areas is going to be good too. In that fact, because, you know, different deer are going to move in and they're going to behave differently. And, and it's not just always going to be, this is the bedding, this is the food, especially when you're hunting mountain bucks. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've, I've rarely gotten pictures of the same deer twice like or two in the next season I, I rarely get get that I, I maybe have two or three different deer in the past that i've gotten on camera repeatedly from season to season so you just never know like things come and go move in and out of the areas they, they get shot by other hunters so it's always good to kind of like I said focus in on, on new areas but then also go back to your old areas and kind of rethink it and how you're approaching it and kind of uh like i said hey, maybe there's something i could do differently here this year or next year that could be of more benefit to me. So it's it, scouting never ends pretty much. <laughs> no, <laughs> it never does, man. That's the beauty of it though. Gets yep. you outside. It gets you going out and doing things. And that's, I'm excited because I have that opportunity, not only here to do it with Dimitri, but I'll come home and hook up with my dad. And uh, I know I want to really put some, some miles on back at home just for the sole fact of, you know, like I said before, like just when I thought, I was understanding it or figuring things out somewhat. It just totally kicked my ass and just, you know, was like, Nope, you're wrong, dude. And, uh, which is good because now it makes me, you know, almost to a point where I was like, well, I don't know if I want to be hold that membership anymore just because, you know, you, you pay for it. And I have this great opportunity here and, you know, it's, it's, I have to travel and, but then it's kind of like, well, this lit a fire under me or it's like, well, no, I, I want to go home and figure this out a little bit just because, and I could bring whatever I learned there back home here. And, uh, you know, I don't know. It's just, it's like one of those ever growing situations where you hear the, the, the public versus private and man, I just don't care. I, it, people just go out and hunt, whatever you have that opportunity to do, do it. And that's, you know, whatever makes you happy. Yeah, exactly. Just whatever makes you happy. And like I said, we're, we're all in it for the, the same thing, hopefully. And that's just to uh, have a great experience. And if you can follow up with a, a beautiful deer, that's, that's even better. It's the plus side. So yeah, you can all uh, throw a pack on and throw some weight on there. And now you're getting ready for uh, Western hunts too. So it's kind of, you can never uh, be too prepared. Bill from uh, Pertner Outdoors, he talked to me before Dimitri and I and Tim went out West and you know, he was saying about when he went out West, how it changed his thought process and mentality of, of hunting here and, uh, you know, well, his home state of New York, you know, you mentioned that too already with 
within our podcast about how you brought in some of the different techniques, you know, what, as far as like hunting techniques, have you, did anything change for you or were you like, Oh wow. Like this kind of opened up my eyes a little bit and I could incorporate this into my whitetail hunting. Has that changed? Cause like you said, you've, you've gone out a couple of times for mule deer, for elk, um, anything that you've kind of intertwined? Um, honestly, I think, it, I mean, the, the West is obviously is so vast and you have to stay mobile to, 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 to find these, these animals and everything. And I think realizing that, cause I think as whitetail hunters, we get so keyed in on just being in like one spot and, and kind of like just being more sedentary than we need to be. And I think it just writes home that whole mobility thing and staying mobile and uh, trying to find where the deer and the animals actually are is, is how you're going to kill them. So. I think that definitely plays a huge factor. Um, if you kind of pull some Western thing, the biggest thing. And I think again, that a lot of times like the, the gear, like there's no reason why you can't put your frame pack on from, from Western hunting and use it here for whitetails um, and, and so forth. I think there's a lot of, a lot of crossover. And I think people are now starting to realize that more um, that you can train for both and be successful in both with kind of similar approach. Well, it's what I even know my doe last year, well, last year and then the year previously, I, I packed that out as well. And, the, and Jeremy, we did the same thing with one of your does this year. Yeah. I mean, that makes life so much easier <laughs> than, than gutting that thing out and then trying to drag it over stumps and logs. And, you know, same thing for us as, as you, Tom, is we're hunting, trying to hunt farther back and, and dragging some of those deer out is, is really a pain, but I mean, it really makes life a lot easier for, for everyone. It really does. Although I, I will say next time, I, I, if I shoot a deer where I uh, got that one last year, it's gotta be a double drop time to be, to be worth it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah man that's crazy i just uh like like dimitri said i when i shot my doe last year with the rifle uh he and i were were dragging her out we didn't quarter her out or anything like that and we're dragging her i'm like whew, i'm you know he, he started busting my chops he's like man i thought you're the phys ed teacher and work out or something he was joking with me and it wasn't even that far of a drag but man we were sucking wind because it's you know we have all that clothes on we're lifting her over to logs and everything like that and i just think too between being able to pack out your uh, a deer now with 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 the western style pack and this is going off the pack now I love that I have the capability of my whole setup as far as bringing my platform, my sticks, my camera gear. Uh, like I was talking to someone the other day and I want to have a video about uh, a Kafaru pack versus an Exo pack just because I own both. Uh, and I love, they're both great packs. Like I, there's pros and cons to both of them. And I, I wish the capability on an exo pack wasn't the horseshoe style zipper that like folded down uh, just for the sole fact of self-filming. Like if I did not bring any camera gear, like you could definitely get away with it and you would be good, like totally. And some people probably do do that and still put their camera gear in and probably like, do you're just being a baby or here's how to do it. Like, I don't know. Uh, I just found it with the stuff that I have. It, it's kind of difficult, especially when I would get up there, but as far as the, the Kafaru pack, that striker is just awesome. And they just made every gripe that I had about it just even better with the XL now. And I'm like, man, just because now that XL striker pack could legit, you buy the camp bag that uh -huh. you would just stuff inside where, you know, 
in in the center there where where uh the folding aspect of it is you would be perfectly fine um so I don't know. It's I, I'm excited to to make that video just because I think you know it's the two big brands as far as uh, yeah, for sure. you know the Western style ranch uh, pack. And I had I bought the Bear Tooth, which is uh, their larger one for Western, and then I I, re- I got a small like I think it's their mule bag that's like a 1400 cubic inch pack, and that's kind of what I use for whitetails, and it, it's small enough. And I know so I talked about the Lone Wolf, and then I, I've been running like the Muddy Pro sticks, but they're they're heavy, so I'm like yeah. I got to kind of light load up so I, I actually ordered the uh, the timber ninja sticks which hopefully should be here in the next couple of days to i think that's going to be a huge weight saver and be able to oh dude they're awesome yeah they're yeah. i can't i i mean just to i had the novik sticks i've had lone wolf custom gear sticks i've had uh shikar sticks and then the timber ninja sticks. so i've had them pretty much you you know those as far as the lightweight capability ones go these are by far i just love the double steps i love the way they pack um uh i don't know the little things that certain people griped about them like early on uh he you know jason fixed it you know he made a different type of uh the depth as far as the bite on the tree but i i love them i think they they are they're awesome uh, he's a good guy. We, you know, obviously we had him on the podcast, but just even on the outside of things, he's a, he's a good person. And, uh, yeah, they're, I, you'll love him. I know he's getting the, he posted a picture the other day. So that I, when I saw that, I was like, Oh, cause I know you mentioned you got a pair. I was like, Oh, Tom's will be, uh, hopefully in that stack. Yeah. I know he had some shipment issues. I get like product, like yeah. the, the materials are a little slow. So yeah, it's, I'm excited. So it's, you gotta, every year you kind of go through all of the stuff, your system and just kind of think of ways to make it a little bit better for next year. Like I said, yep. it's, I think gear is important. Like I said, to, to kind of improve everything a little bit further and have hopefully get you in front of that deer, um, in the future. So that's awesome. Now what, uh, any other gear things that you're going to be changing for next year, just cause I'm, I love talking gear. So anything that you're, you're going to add to the arsenal. Um, not not as far as I know right this second. Just like I said, just the sticks are going to be a huge weight saver. And then I still really like my my lone wolf assault. Um, it's it, it's worked for me the last couple of years, so I really don't think uh, too much about changing that. And like I said, uh, I know there's there's a lot of good uh, cell cameras and everything out there, and I'd love to dabble in that. But like I said, I, I just my my uh, approach, just me personally, I like more. Uh, quantity versus quality, I guess you could say. But I mean, the pictures that I get can tell me what the deer are, right. even though, like I said, it's, it's not be the best quality, but it's, it does the job. So I just want to get more cameras out to cover some of these areas, like I said, so I can kind of hone in on, on a certain, certain spot that might be holding a nice buck for next year. So nice, man. Yeah. I, the only thing I really want to tinker with my arrow setup. I know Dimitri does a little bit in that aspect of things as well. Uh, and man, I honestly, we're not, I mean, we're not affiliated by any means with that Tacticam, but man, that Tacticam reveal was legit. Like I owned, uh, between me or my dad, we've owned a Moultrie, we've owned stealth cam and the Tacticam as far as like cell cams, uh, go my stealth one that I had back at home stopped working, uh, and then my Moultrie last season, so like the 2019 season, I went through three of them before before the season. I was like, all right, screw this. And 
I ended up not running any cell cameras last year. And I bought another one just because I got a ridiculous sale on one. And we have that near Dimitri right now. And it works um, perfectly fine. So, you know, knock on wood, they I maybe fixed all their network issues that they had. But, man, for 100 bucks, that reveal from Tacticam is takes great photos. It's um, I, ha I had I have had yet to have any issues with it so far. So I'm I'm really happy with that. So. I guess that's the one thing I should also mention too. In some of these areas, like I said, in the mountains, like the cell phone service is so bad, bad. that it's yeah. That's why I've even carry any more that I, my Garmin inReach that I use out west, like just bringing that with me because I actually broke my leg two years ago. I was it was in, in August. I was uh, checking a trail camera and I was crossing a creek, and there was kind of a, a down log that I'd always cross over, and um, it, it was it was rotting because uh, it was dead, obviously. So. I stepped down off the bank and I stepped into the log and my foot went right through the log. And at, at that time I turned, uh, oh. and I snapped both my tib fib in, in my leg and I was able to initially pull my leg out, but then I, I fell back in the bank and long story short, it took about two hours before, uh, uh, ambulance search and rescue was able to get me out, uh, of the woods and, uh, then to the hospital and got, proud owner of a titanium rod in my leg so oh my gosh man that's crazy so yeah so i always like to keep some kind of device that i could if i need to send a text message or anything uh it's definitely important especially in areas where you don't have good cell phone service just to have with you peace of mind yeah for sure well i my, my wife doesn't listen to the podcast but she thinks i brought mine with me all all whitetail season too <laughs> 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 oh man so so tom you're not gonna upgrade that mountain bike this year oh uh, i don't know tim's got that uh that e-bike yeah you just steal like his <laughs> he won't care i mean i paid a whopping 100 bucks for this mountain bike and uh, i probably have another uh 20 bucks in it with accessories so I don't <laughs> <laughs> but uh it, it gets me to from point a to point b and it's got a nice uh spray can uh, camouflage that i sprayed on it so it's uh it, it does the does the job still so it was great because dimitri and i we borrowed his neighbor's bikes when we went out it was awesome i felt like <laughs> when we were like riding because the uh the gate was closed we were like flying down the road and just like i felt i don't know i just felt like we we're unstoppable <laughs> i was like here we go we got we got these trail cams like let's go we're passing these old guys like walking with their walking sticks and stuff and we're just like we're gonna find bucks <laughs> like we're we're ready to rock man i loved it it was yeah, good stuff that's, for sure. <laughs> that's awesome now, tom, tom did you score your buck uh so yeah initially i was kind of I don't know. I, I was a little, I almost didn't want to score him because I, I just didn't want to associate a number with, with the deer. You know what I mean? Like, cause it, it coming from people, like I said, out, out in the Midwest and everything is like, Oh yeah. Like it was 140. I passed up and all that. I just, I don't know. I had like a weird feeling uh, about scoring deer, but eventually I, me and my buddy who actually shot a, a nice, nice deer too, as well, he came over and we, we uh, put tape on everything and my buck ended up scoring. I think it was, 134 and uh six eights wow so uh, i like i said it's he's, he's a great buck regardless of what he scores so dude hell of a deer that's just awesome i love it well but i, I, I like it the same standards though I, I, if it's a if it's a, a three-year-old uh, 110 inch pa buck it's getting smoked every year so <laughs> i love it 
That's what it should be. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, not that it should be, but you know, for some people it's, you know, I, I didn't shoot enough deer yet where I could be picky or I don't own land yet where I could watch these suckers grow and come down to the field every night and watch them and say, Hey, Hey, there's, you know, there's Fred, the buck, you know, like control your deer and stuff like it. I mean, like I said, good for the people that do, but that's not what we're given. So we got to yep. take advantage of what we have. So that's my, the my here, archery is a buck that I want to get mounted is kind of what I hold myself standard to. And then rifle season is just the orange army. You just, whatever you can get, that's illegal. <laughs> well, that's the one thing too, that I love with, you know, Dimitri's attitude is it's just, you know, I don't know. I just, if it's makes you happy and it gets you excited up there, like let it rip. And I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, Going to New York, I had a blast. Like the fact that again, I I already had a buck down. Like I, I had no no stress, no pressure, just going out to have fun. And it's like it's just such a relief, like not having to to be so stressed out and everything like that. It's just like so true, it makes you happy and don't apologize to anybody or, or say anything else. Like just enjoy the experience and enjoy the animal you get to harvest and, and that's what it's really all about. Yeah, I love it. Dimitri, you got anything else for Tom? No. Nah. I think that's it i know such a cool story I, I you know just what a hammer i can't wait to hopefully see him one day just to you know see that drop time and you know you see them in cabela's <laughs> well maybe maybe we need to do a, a deer challenge you know yeah Eastern pa versus central pa yeah with tim and tom that'll be fun in favors, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. That'd be fun. That'd be good stuff. Well, I know we uh we got to talk and get get Tim on and figure out what the heck we're we're doing for a trip for for uh, twenty one. Figure out what oh, yeah. we're doing this year. Maybe uh get out to uh more uh where the where Elk County and everything like that, and yep. first maybe look sheds, a little shed hunting and everything. That would be a a fun time. So sounds good, and, brother. Uh, yeah. So let's see. I like it. Well, dude, where can people find you or see some, some, uh, info from you just to give, uh, our listeners a chance to, to see some stuff. Uh, yeah, they could, uh, you can find me on Instagram, uh, at a T run scav T R U N S C A V. Uh, so I'm pretty active on that. Uh, so if anyone wants to reach out, I'm, I'm always available. Awesome, man. Well, dude, thank you for coming on. Thanks for sharing the story of the buck and everything else. And, uh, hopefully we'll have another one where uh, it'll be the three of us plus one and we'll be doing it live. So see what we got going on. All right. Thank you guys very much. Awesome, man. Well, dude, everybody go, go, uh, give Tom a follow and thanks for listening. Thanks for the support till next time. Antler up. And that's a wrap for another episode of the antler up podcast. Thank you, Tom, for coming on. We greatly appreciate it. And uh, check him out, what he has going on over on his, his Instagram. And be sure to check us out. We have some new videos dropping on our YouTube. And uh, you can check us out over at antlerupoutdoors.com. While you're there, check out our awesome partners. Some cool stuff coming from them in 2021. Again, thank you so much for all your support. It means the world. Till next time, Antler Up.